Hello and welcome to the Messages and Methods Livecast Life 2.0 Livestream Podcast hosted by Encore Entrepreneurs, Shelley Carney and Toby Yunus. We inspire excitement for content creation and marketing your brand and business while answering all your technology and digital marketing questions. Join us as we interview experts who share their knowledge and experience to provide actionable tips to land more clients, nurture leads, and position yourself as an expert in your industry. Chat with Shelly and Toby every Wednesday on YouTube or Facebook. All right. Welcome, welcome. Great to have you all here with us today. I'm Shelley Carney with Messages and Methods. And today we're talking with a very special guest, Adrian Vandervolk. And as she's one of the ladies that we met at She Podcasts, and we had an opportunity to speak with her there. And we want to dive more deeply into that conversation today. Um, did you have any news that you wanted to share before we start? You know what? If I do, I will wait till later because I just went through uh, the interview that you did with Adrienne and she podcast. I went through the transcript and I think it's more important just to get to this conversation because Adrienne has a lot of really important things to say. Okay. And I, I want to hear them again. All right. All right. So Adrienne, why don't we start off with just a brief uh, description of who you are and what you're up to. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to meet you. And I still am kind of dreaming of Arizona and that wonderful experience. It was just, it was so beautiful. So I am Adrian Vandervalk, as you said, and I live in Jersey City, New Jersey. And I've done a lot of things in my career. I've been uh, an educator. I've been an editor, a journalist, a writer. And what I'm doing now is I co-own a business with my husband. We run a communications and design firm out of our home. And I, I'm also a recovery coach who specializes in um, kind of a unique modality where we really work on accessing mind-body connection as a tool for holistic recovery. So yeah, it's been quite an evolution um, in my career. Also, obviously a podcaster, hence our connection at She Podcasts. So uh, just to, be, I have actually two questions, but the first one was the last time we spoke with you, um, you said that you were between podcasts, uh, right. that you had finished up uh, Feminist Hot Dog and that you were planning a new podcast with a partner based on some decisions that you made. Where, how, how are you coming along on that uh, transition process? Well, this the timing of this interview is fortuitous because we actually just launched the trailer for our new podcast yesterday. It's called the Hangover Liberation Society. And it's we're very excited about this. There's a lot of podcasts out there about the downside of drinking, which of course, you know, there are many for those of us who have substance use disorders, but there are so many upsides to giving up alcohol and walking away from uh, from that the grip of needing to drink all the time. And so we really want to focus on the unexpected benefits of sobriety that I think don't get talked about as much. And if maybe if we talked more about the, the benefits, people would be more willing to entertain the idea of giving up alcohol, even for just a little while to see how they feel. So the trailer is out there. We're going to start releasing episodes, hopefully in the next week. Wow, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Did uh, did you find that being at the She Podcasts uh, conference kind of motivated you to get get going with it? 
It definitely did. Um, meeting the two of you also motivated me because I, I knew that I had a deadline. This is always good to have like an external deadline. If someone's going to ask you about what you said you were going to do, right? You should probably <laughs> get off your butt and do it. And I, I just think so highly of the of um, Elsie and Jess and everyone, all that entire crew that put together that amazing event. I uh, have been to a lot of conferences and my experience generally is that about 50% of the time I'm in a session, I'm like, eh, this does, this isn't really like working for me or this information isn't relevant to me. And every session I went to at She Podcast, I, I was furiously taking notes. I came home and organized my thoughts and it has truly been really kind of, uh, you know, inspiring and, and changed my thinking about a lot of the ways that we're marketing the business and thinking about approaching the next year. So it's been su super valuable. Wow, what a good way to come out of that. So um, one of the things that we've asked uh, previous uh, guests is there there are in our lives uh, points of inflection, things where for whatever reason it causes us to pivot and change. Tell us about your most recent inflection point. What was that event that caused uh, a pivot in the direction that you were heading? Mm, that's a great question. So I would have to say most recently it was meeting my business partner, Aaron. So Aaron and I met at a sober meetup in Central Park. I had just moved to the New York City area and I really didn't know anybody, much less any sober people. And it's hard enough to meet people during a pandemic. And so I thought, okay, this is I'm going to put on my big girl pants and go do this meet, meet and greet thing. And uh, we just started talking and it was really, um, we didn't, we didn't have an, a serious conversation about starting a business together until January of 2021. But in that conversation, I felt both of us felt like years of our careers and respective struggles kind of gelled in this moment where we thought, this is something that we both really care about that we really want to do. And between the two of us, we have the right set of expertise or the fortitude to get the expertise to make this happen. And so I feel like both of us individually might have had inclinations to, to move in the direction of coaching or, or helping people who want to uh, address their substance use disorders. But when we came together, that was really kind of the alchemy that it took to propel us forward. So a couple of things to our audience out there. If you have questions on anything that Adrian is talking about, please ask them in the chat and I'll make sure that uh, she sees them before we finish today's uh, show. And secondly, just wanted to remind you that the super chat light is lit. So if you want to contribute to our little, uh, our little process here, uh, you can go down to the bottom of the chat window. You'll see a stylized but grayed out uh, dollar sign, click on that dollar sign, then YouTube will very graciously walk you through the process of donating to our project. Shelley? So what you were doing before was called Feminist Hot Dog, and basically you wanted to promote the idea of feminism and anti-racism and empower basically women and minorities. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about empowerment. Um, what is empowerment and, and how can we empower ourselves and each other? That's a great question. I think empowerment is such an interesting word because it sort of, it, apply, it implies that it's something that one thing, that one person does for another person, like I'm going to empower you. And when you think about that, 
is that kind of a disempowering way to um, approach a relationship, right? That, you know, that one person has the power to, you know, give to the other person. So I love the self-empowerment idea. And I really, truly think that when, you know, when it comes to um, feminist hot dog, for example, it, it was very empowering for me to have all of these conversations with women and trans folks and non-binary people from all, you know, all walks of life to, and it, just to learn about their perspective, about how feminism did and didn't fit into their lives, about their experiences that led them to call themselves feminists or not call themselves feminists. And so not only was it kind of an education, but I felt like I was tapping into a community of people who think really deeply about these issues. And that was empowering for me because it was just during a time when the world was experiencing a lot of problems, a lot of conflict, a lot of polarization. And I think it's very easy to sort of feel like, well, I'm just one person. What can I do in the situation? And having that connection in those communities did make me feel like, you know, our voices do matter. My voice matters. I might be just one, but I'm one of a, a large number of people who are having a conversation. And so that, that felt really empowering to me. Um, so then we kind of segue into Riva Recovery, which again is finding a new way to empower yourself uh, by letting go of those addictions and embracing things uh, in the podcasting arena, for instance, or in uh, recovery support uh, that can then bring you more power. So mm -hmm. let's talk a little about... Um, what it is that you need to be an empowered podcaster and uh, how you can like share that out with people and share those ideas. Yeah. Well, I feel like podcasting, you know, when I was at she podcast, I spoke specifically on podcasting as a tool for recovery because it is such a, um, it is a medium that requires you to really get to know your own way of talking and thinking and to own your ideas and to own your way of communicating. It also requires you to really focus on being organized, being consistent, showing up for yourself, doing what you're, what you'll say you're going to do, you know, with regard to being where you need to be with your guests and, um, and making sure that their voice is, being shared appropriately and in the spirit in which, you know, they, they spoke with you. So I think that there's just a lot that goes into creating a podcast that is inherently um, empowering because anytime you have an idea and put it out into the world, that's a big deal. Creativity is, um, is something that I think really enhances all of our lives. And I totally see podcasting as a creative endeavor and just, you know, having, having the, follow through to, to have those conversations and, and the guts to share them, which sometimes feels really vulnerable. I think for people who have been hiding or feeling bad about themselves or, or don't feel a lot of confidence in their voice can be really transformative. So I'm going to open up, I've um, uh, gotten to your Reva Recovery website and uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen so our audience can see it. In addition to that, I've posted uh, the link in the the uh, chat room window. So if you guys want to visit the website, you're perfectly welcome to do that. Tell us a little bit about the website and what people can ex expect when they get there. 
Sure. So really what we wanted to communicate with the website was that anyone who arrives there should feel should feel welcome. Anyone who um, we don't want anyone to feel like they are being judged or that we are labeling them or telling them that what they have to do. We just really wanted to communicate to people that we understand the struggle. Aaron and I have both been through it, that we do feel that everyone has it within them to transition to a sober life if that's what they want. And that our goal is, you know, our role is not to tell them, to label them or tell them, you know, what they can and can't do, but to give them the tools to be able to make that transition for themselves. Because, you know, we don't, we never want anyone to be dependent on us as coaches. We'll be there for them on an ongoing basis. Um, but there are a lot of predatory programs out there that will, will tell you um, that, you know, you, if you, um, you know, essentially that, you need the coach who's working with you in order to be successful. And, and we don't believe that that's true. We really want people to, to tap into their own um, inner strength and their own ability to navigate the, the challenges and changes of their lives. So I have the benefit of um, having listened to the conversation that you and Shelly had. And you mentioned that your Reva recovery program in coordination with your partner is different from other programs. And you mm -hmm. compare them to things like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and in-residence programs. Tell the audience a little bit about what you and your partner do in the context of your program. Sure. So our program is a little bit different in that it is a bracketed coaching program. So it's really appropriate for people who are either at the beginning of their recovery and just want a really solid foundation of practice, or for people who have been sober for a while and are really looking for a way to um, create the sober life that they want. So those are those are sort of our two uh, focus audiences. And um, so Aaron has been to has used AA for years and and went to treatment and so those are modalities that we really believe are important and necessary for a lot of people. So we don't see Reva as like a replacement like nobody will ever need those things anymore. But we do think that a lot of times when you go to treatment or therapy they'll say things to you if you're in recovery like you should really do yoga or you should really meditate or you should um you know kind of get to know yourself better, et cetera. But very rarely does the um, program offer a sustained way to train you to do that. And so that's really where we come in. So we truly believe that involving the body is incredibly important. And so our in our program, for example, our students have access to movement classes every single day. We support them in creating uh, a daily meditation practice for themselves. We teach them, I think, six different meditation modalities and provide specific meditation coaching. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to do it. It's it's hard. I, you know, it took me years to get into a daily meditation practice. It's something everybody says, oh, I should do this. And that, you know, it's really difficult to follow through. But when you do, the, the results are really transformative. So, so we talk about nutrition. We talk about neuroscience. We um, use a variety of different coaches who have different specialties and we bring them in for um, coaching sessions because different people are different. They have different needs. Some people might want to work on confidence. Some people might want to work on, um, you know, getting their sleep cycle regulated. You know, it just really depends on, on who you are. But one thing that is 
really, really important, two things that are really important to us. One is that our program is trauma informed. So a lot of the folks that we work with, we work primarily with women and non-binary people have experienced some form of trauma. And so um, acknowledging their experience is central to the work that we do. And we have found that um, somatic modalities that involve the body can be very, very healing for people who have been through some kind of um, physical or emotional trauma. The other is that we talk a lot about um, the way that substance use disorders are perceived in the wider world. So we talk about social justice and why certain people or certain types of drug use or certain um, types of drug or alcohol users are perceived very differently or treated very differently by the medical system, by the courts, um, by just the the court of public opinion. And we think we think critically about why that is. So for us, um, substance use disorders are political and we don't shy away from those conversations. We think they're really important to be able to kind of understand what's happening to you within the larger uh, context of your life experience. So uh, quick questions before I turn it back to Shelley. Uh, is, is REVA either a mnemonic or acronym for something? Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's actually two, it's a word um, in and of itself. It's a Latin word that means rebuilding strength. Oh. And it is also Aaron's initials and my initials put together. So her, <laughs> her last name is Ranta. So E-R-N-V-A. And um, Aaron, your partner in REVA is also Aaron, your partner in your upcoming podcast. Correct. Oh, yes. Okay. Wanted to make sure I had that right. Shall yes. I back you? All right. Um, so we talked a little bit, or you talked a little bit about the benefits of sobriety. When people come to you, what do you feel is the top benefit or result that they're looking for? Mm. I think a lot of people that we've worked with, and I, you know, I count myself in this category, have lost a tremendous amount of trust in themselves. So they have a sense of who they are sort of at their core being and through the course of whatever experience that they've had with their substance use disorder have been um, living out of integrity with their values or they haven't been reliable to the people who care about them and depend on them or they have you know, lost you know, in some cases, months and years of their life, not moving thing, not moving their goals and their dreams forward because they were hungover or they were stuck or they were broke or whatever it is. So um, that can be really demoralizing and really hard on your confidence. So I think that's one of the number one things that we really focus on is helping people understand, first of all, the neuroscience of these kinds of disorders, because once you are in that the cycle of addiction, you know, what's happening to you really not is not your fault. It is incredibly difficult to, um, to explain to, uh, to explain that, but once people get it, and they kind of understand that, you know, this is really about brain science and the way that our brains have evolved. Um, so they can let themselves off the hook a little bit, right. And they can also feel empowered because they know what to do about it. Like if your brain changed in this direction because you consistently, you know, were uh, consuming poison, you can change, you, you can't ever like totally undo that, but there's a lot that you can do to change your patterns by accessing um, very specific practices that we teach in our program um, and that are made infinitely easier 
if you have a meditation practice because you are much, much better positioned to observe your own thoughts and behaviors if you um, can give yourself that mental space every day. So I think this is a question that applies either to your work as a feminist, and I use that in the most positive sense, uh, and your work as a uh, helping others recover from alcoholism. In your interview with Shelley, you said, one of the things that I learned through that journey of feminism is that people need community. Talk about that a little bit, especially in the context of the pandemic. Mm, yeah, um, I think that's such a great question. Um, so I have not checked the most recent statistics, but my understanding is that among um, women, drinking is up something like 40% during the pandemic, that just the isolation, the stress, the um, not knowing when anything was going to end, you know, the, this kind of existential dread that, that we've all been living through has really... I think very understandably prompted a lot of people to turn to drinking as a way to quote unquote relax. Right. Um, Laura McGowan, who is a really well-known author and um, sobriety expert has a great quote where she says basically that uh, alcohol, drinking alcohol to relax is like, it, it's basically pouring gasoline on a fire. It's like pouring gasoline on your anxiety because in, in the moment, maybe your body will relax and you'll kind of, mentally be able to check out of what's ever going on, but it doesn't change this, the root circumstances. And, you know, anyone who's ever sort of woken up after having a few too many glasses of wine knows that sort of feeling of, of anxiety that can, that can kind of well up and your heart races. And if you're doing that every day over a long period of time, um, the, it can degrade your mental health terribly. So I think that, um, this is a perfect example of, of the fact that once we're cut off from other people and we don't have those connections and we don't have the opportunity to look each other in the eye and touch one another and be around the people that we know care about us, um, it really diminishes our um, abilities to soothe ourselves. And so we'll, we'll turn to something that we feel like is soothing. So you know, I think that that's, um, that's definitely a reality for a lot of people. So I do have a lighter question from the audience. Your age and is your last name Dutch? And Abby Bungle. Uh, My last name is Dutch. My father is actually an immigrant from Holland. And so we're very, very Dutch. Um, and I am 46 years old. Well, um, I have to tell you that when, as I was engineering the uh, conversation with uh, you and Shelly, uh, you, you, of course, brought up your uh, recovery from alcoholism. And my first reaction to that was, I have members of my family, uh, all have passed away now that were alcoholics, and in some cases, recovering alcoholics, and none of them looked as healthy as you do. So um, uh, well, thank you. you, you must have done something really right in your recovery. So Shelly, back to you. Uh, so tell us, um, how did you come up with the name, the Hangover Liberation Society? And what do you hope that people uh, think of when they see that as they're scrolling through podcasts? Yeah. So um, as thank you for bringing up the website earlier, as you, as you saw, the headline on the website was Recovery is Freedom. And I truly feel that way. And it was... Um, you know, for a long time, I, I really clung to the belief that I 
I wanted to keep drinking in my life and I loved it. And if I could just moderate and I could just make it work, you know, then drinking and I would never, ever, ever have to be apart. And then after I quit, I just, I just realized I feel so free. I don't have to think about this anymore. I don't have to obsess about how much am I going to drink? Am I going to drink too much? Is there going to be enough alcohol? Are other people drinking as much as me? Am I going to be too hungover tomorrow? I mean, that takes up an enormous amount of time and headspace. And I just, it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was easy. It was not easy, but being free of alcohol is so much, it was so much easier than living that way for so long. And I, I it just, um, so that it did feel like a liberation for me. And so I think that is a framing that we really want to try to put out there. I think a lot of people really cling to the desire to, to keep alcohol in their lives with good reason, because we're taught from a very young age that like you have to drink to have a good time. You drink to, you drink when you're happy, you drink when you're sad, you drink when you go out, you drink when you stay home for dinner, you know, it's just, it's really part of our culture. So it's, it's a reframing piece. And I do think that um, we, because we have a social justice kind of liberation oriented um, and body liberation oriented angle in our curriculum, um, that kind of fits together as well. It just indicates to people that, you know, we're, we're really coming at this from a place of like, yes, we want to liberate ourselves, but we want us we want to have this conversation with the, within the larger conversation of how we can all live life um, more freely. So uh, I wanted to point out on uh, the website, there is a page where you can book a free session mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Aaron and uh, Adrienne. So take advantage of that. I've also seen that you maintain a blog. That's right. And... and our, our blog is funny because it's a combination of posts and recipes because Aaron's mm -hmm. husband is a chef. And when we send out our newsletter, his recipes are always the thing, the, the most clicked on item in the newsletter. So it's we, interesting that this should come up because I was thinking about doing a butternut squash soup for Thanksgiving. So. Well, there you go. Now, you know, yeah. uh, we do a lot of mocktail recipes as well. So oh, sober, cool. sober people shouldn't have to just drink seltzer water all the time. Well, uh, it's a, uh, I'll tell you a story real quick. I didn't know what a mocktail was, uh, except that my daughters started to bring it up in their Instagram pages. Uh, they use them as alternatives when they're pregnant, and there have been a lot of pregnancies in our family recently. So there's a whole big thing about uh, mocktails. So, uh, And on the last page, there's also some movement videos. Uh, there's a movement video gallery on the website. So if you guys get to it, please uh, take a look at that material. Um, Can I just say one thing about the movement gallery? Sure. So this is something we're really proud of because, again, so often people are told that they should do yoga or Pilates or some embodiment exercise, but it's very unusual to find videos that are taught by people in recovery that specifically reference recovery principles in the video and link those two things. So that was part of why we felt like it was really important to provide those resources. So I'm going to open one. We might get some audio here, but let's see uh, where we go from here. So you have them on Vimeo. That's a good mm -hmm. platform. And these are done by Erin? Um, both of us. Some, some are her, some are me. Cool. I think, I think this one would be me. 
Hi, Aaron. Hi, Aaron. I've asked Aaron to join me for this video in which I'm going to talk about how a yoga practice can help you strengthen your recovery mindset. So just a little bit of background on where this connection came from for me. I have wow. been practicing yoga for longer than I Very cool and very yeah. well shot. Who did those for you? Well, I have the benefit of being married to a very talented uh designer and uh, my business partner and my husband. So he's, he has been really helpful to us in, in getting the, the look and feel of our business put together. So I don't want to get us off track, but uh, you did, you had mentioned that you and your husband have a graphic design business. Tell us a little bit about that before, uh, so that we have that uh, um, uh, before we leave today. Oh, great. Yeah. It's called Square Lightning Communications and Design. And so he and I have both worked in nonprofits our most of our career. So we specialize in working with nonprofit organizations and also um, with educators and artists, folks who have big ideas and really want beautiful visuals and nice communications um, assets, but don't have an in-house design team or in-house communications team. So we, we temporarily become their communications and design partners. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. We've gotten to work with some great people. I'll make sure that it's uh, squarelightning.com. Yes. All right. So I'm going to share that with the folks as well. All right. Thank you. There we are. So it's uh, their business is, look at you with all that really good marketing stuff. <laughs> so their business is at uh, squarelightning.com. And uh, if you need information on graphic design, you can call or you can contact Square Lightning and you'll get uh, Adrian and her husband. What did you mention your husband's name? His name is Russell, Russell Ashtis. So, well, great. All right, Sally, back to you. I'd like to hear more about uh, what you were starting to talk about in that particular video, uh, the, the reason that you want to bring mind and body together uh, to enhance recovery. Can you give us a little bit more on that? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, people, I'll, I know I'll speak for myself. When I got sober, I really felt totally disconnected from my body. I felt like my body was like the scene of a crime, essentially. And because I had really just ignored the SOS signals, I had um, just really harmed myself and punished myself in uh, without, uh, you know, without really thinking about what that meant for a long, long time. And so getting back into a practice that enabled me to ask myself regularly, how am I feeling? And to, you know, listen to the answer that my body gave me and to move in ways that were nurturing. So I really re resist for myself. Now I don't do a lot of like very extreme or punishing physical activity. I really like physical activity that's slow, that's nurturing, and that's very restorative because I feel like I'm still, um, sort of reconnecting with my physical self. And that's, that's been really important to me. And then, you know, also with a yoga practice, you, it's very similar to being in recovery. You kind of, you have the general idea at first, you sort of get it, you kind of know the postures, you go through the motions and then over time you refine and you refine and you refine and you refine. And so, and I found that to be very similar, um, with, with my recovery, like in terms of even how I talk about it, how I approach social situations. Um, I was very inelegant about how I, you know, I was just, just sort of like 
flailing my way through early recovery for the first year. And so now, you know, over three years in, I have a very, very different approach to those conversations and those experiences. And it just takes a lot of practice. So I'm, I never have been through it, so I speak without any experience, but tell us a little bit about some of the emotions that one experiences once they're in recovery, because I know it sounds like, and, and you des described, uh, some of them can be very challenging and sometimes debilitating. Mm -hmm. And even though you are in recovery, talk a little bit about that, if you please. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I'm also going to just really quickly grab my power cord because my I, my computer is giving me an SOS signal. So give me Go one ahead. second, I'll Go be right ahead. back. All right, we'll look forward to you coming back. So while we're waiting, um we can talk about, uh, you know, when, when, when I interviewed Elsie, she got started in her podcast by doing yoga classes uh -huh. on a podcast, which I think is kind of interesting because it seems like such a, you would need the visuals right? right. You, uh -huh. to get into the correct positions and, and what that's all about. But the, a lot of the yoga practice uh, classes that you'll see, uh, and I'm sure you haven't attended any, but uh, if you were to watch them on YouTube or anywhere, they all seem to start off with, here's why we're here today. What are we feeling? And, and kind of doing that connection uh, and having those intentions in place during the time that you're doing the yoga exercises uh -huh. so that it can become a part of your day and a part of your body. Um, you know, and then the way that you move it incorporates all those intentions into your day. So uh, that I think is 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 really interesting. So I was just talking about how Elsie had started off as a podcaster, doing yoga classes on podcasting, which seems unusual because you think you're missing visual. that visual component. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what's going on visually. Uh, I like that you have these videos available, but is that something that you might be doing in your future podcast is talking about the yoga practice and, and how that's incorporated? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be doing um, a little bit of movement and either movement or meditation or possibly both in every episode. We're going to kind of experiment and see how that um, that ends up working. And um, Toby, to, you, to the question you asked right before I had my power yes. shortage, um, I so one of the feelings that I have really worked very hard to navigate and that I think is common to a lot of people in recovery or people before they seek recovery is shame and just feeling... Um, you know, a lot of not only um, shame for their, you know, as I mentioned before, for not being quote unquote stronger, for not being having the willpower and being able to overcome their uh, compulsions, et cetera, but also shame because when we talk about uh, alcohol and alcohol use in this culture, we tend to talk about there just being two kinds of people. There's like normal drinkers and alcoholics. And so anybody who quits drinking obviously is someone who like can't handle their alcohol, must have had something terrible happen to them or done something terrible, or it like means something about them, their character, you know, their ability to function as a person. Right. And I think it's been very helpful to me to think about the fact that alcohol is essentially, and not, not essentially, it actually is 
um, poisonous. The reason that it has the effect that it has on your body is because it's subtly poisoning you. Um, and then over time, and if you use it uh, consistently and in large amounts, not so subtly poisoning you, right? And that's when, um, you know, we, we have terrible hangover symptoms and that's when we can, you know, develop really serious chronic illnesses and conditions that are including cancer. So that is, um, you know, we we're, we also live in a time when like a lot of people are, are talking about, oh, I can't, I can't tolerate gluten. This, the author of the blog we just published um, says this, you know, we're, no one can tolerate gluten anymore, but everyone feels bad that they can't tolerate drinking poison. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so it's an addictive substance. If you drink it enough, you will get addicted. It doesn't matter who you are. That's just, I mean, it just is the, the, the fact, right? So I think that that, um, being able to put some of the responsibility back on the substance itself is helpful. And also the responsibility, um, and not that, not that, you know, I or anybody else is, is looking to like, um, you know, avoid responsibility for our behaviors when drinking. But I do think that there, it shouldn't be surprising that people take it up, take their, um, take it as a sign of their own weakness or their own deficiencies mm. if they're not able to drink quote unquote normally because drinking is just like a national pastime. So um, I think that is where we really have some work to do in terms of thinking about, well, why is that? And can we, um, can we think about like maybe making fewer jokes about like, kids getting dad's beers and mommy wine culture and you know just all that that is so pervasive it's just so normalized that it leaves people with very few options other than feeling bad about themselves if they reach the point where they decide that they might want to stop drinking so you, you mentioned something that i actually hadn't thought of before and that is uh, uh alcohol and drug abuse or the addiction to the boys poison uh, that is being put in your body. I, I can't think of any other addictions that include the act of ingesting something. Are there others that I'm missing? Uh, so that's the first part. And the second part of the question, does, does these pro do these programs that you and your Aaron, your partner have created, would they apply to other addictions as well? Oh, good question. So, um, so people can, the part of, what we talk about in the program is something called the context dependent memory cycle, which essentially is a combination of a trigger, a behavior and a reward. And so that the context dependent memory cycle evolved to help us um, basically pursue things that were evolutionarily good for us, like finding food when we were hungry or having sex so that we could reproduce and keep the, you know, keep our lineage going as, um, as animals. So really the, that cycle is, is programmed into us and can, um, you can, a lot of different things can be substituted for those different triggers, behaviors, and rewards. So, um, you know, people can become addict, you know, quote unquote addicted to compulsive exercise, for example, where they feel, um, or I think, there's depending, I mean, I think that there's, this is really complicated and I'm not a therapist or a psychologist, mm -hmm. so I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, but I think that there are, a, there's a huge host of compulsive behaviors. Some of them can be, um, 
connected to you know having developed a tolerance or a dependence from consuming um some of them can be uh you know for example like a symptom of uh, like an obsessive compulsive disorder some of them are a, a trauma response some of them are a combination of all of those things right mm -hmm. um so i think uh, what we do is we do a really careful assessment when people, so that book a, book a call uh, page that you mentioned, one of the things that we do is we, we talk really frankly about what, what is going on with this person, what are their needs, are they in the throes of a really, really severe acute physical addiction, are they in danger, um, what other kinds of treatment or therapy have they accessed, because we want to make sure that we are in, we never ever want to portray ourselves as like the one thing that can help everybody. We're definitely not. We are, um, I think we fill a very, very important gap, service gap that exists. But I also think that there are people who would need a much higher level of intervention than what we offer as coaches. So I, you know, I definitely want to be, want to be clear about that. Does that answer your question? I kind of no, 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 no. It, took a it, circuitous it, route there. And but you answered the question, Shelley. Back to you. Uh, so, tell us, um, what are you going to be talking about in this first month of your podcast, uh, the Hangover Liberation Society? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have brainstormed a whole list of topics that we want to talk about. Different ways that uh, we feel that being sober has benefited us. And then also based on our research, some unexpected benefits of sobriety. So we want to talk here, let me pull up the list. Actually, I can tell you some of the things okay. that we're going to talk about. Um, we want to talk about uh, anxiety is a huge one because I feel like, I mean, I, I really don't know anybody right now in the world in my life who's not like feeling quite anxious. And so let's talk about why uh, sobriety and anxiety is, you know, why sobriety can be beneficial to you if you're experiencing anxiety. We'd like to talk about uh, sobriety and sex. So if you're dating or you're married or you're having sex with, you know, whoever, even yourself, the way that you're, um, the way that you consume alcohol is going to change how you feel about that. Um, some people have literally never had sex sober when they get, when they get sober. And so that's like, very scary for them. Um, and we want to demystify that a little bit and talk about some of the benefits of that. We also want to talk about parenting. I am not a parent, but Aaron is. And so that's an area where I think there's a lot of very rich conversations to be had because again, I mentioned mommy wine culture is a really big, uh, something that we love to sort of joke and talk about in our culture, but we never really look at the root causes of like, why is it that mothers in our culture are so stressed out and feel so isolated that this, you know, has kind of become a thing that we've just sort of normalized and now we laugh about it. Right. So how can, um, what, what are some of the uh, benefits of parenting when you don't have that glass of wine waiting for you at the end of the day? And what can you do instead? So I do want to mention to our audience that I will put links to all the websites that we've shown you today in the description box of our uh, videos and the show notes of our audios. Um, so I, I know you're past this, but I also know that there were uh, a number of lessons that you learned from Feminist Hot Dog, and I'm going to bring up that website. So tell us a little bit uh, as you ventured into that area, which can be 
very confrontational, right? It's one of those areas that, that like politics, religion, and finances yeah. that can be confrontational. But you held on to that podcast uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of great guests. Tell us some of the lessons that you learned from maintaining the high level of integrity that you had with that podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, I really appreciate that question. It was definitely something that I wasn't necess- I didn't necessarily go into feminist hot dog with a great plan. Like I I came to that project with an emotional need and I felt like I really needed to be having these conversations and to be talking about this. And so very little plan, very little strategy. Um, one of the lessons that I learned quickly was that I needed to get a little bit more uh, clear about why, you know, what I was doing, why I was reaching out to certain guests and how I was going to communicate about this project to the outside world. Right. If I wanted anybody to listen to it. So I had to really kind of get, um, I guess some, some marketing 101. I probably could have really benefited from talking to you at that point. <laughs> I had no, uh, really no way of presenting myself in the world that made any, that made a whole lot of sense. And actually for me at the beginning, that was fine. You know, it just was kind of what I needed to do. Um, but in terms of kind of what you're saying about, you know, politics and confrontation, I learned that I, you know, how do I want to say this exactly? There's, I think I'm someone who always was sort of looking for like, okay, I want to, I want to make sure I'm saying the right things and thinking the right things about all these issues. And if I talk to enough people, then I'll know, like, it'll be, I'll just know what the right thing is. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, so one of the biggest lessons that I learned is that there there are so many perspectives on all of these issues and perspectives are often shaped by who we are and our life experiences. And so I've talked to people who have presented very different perspectives on, on issues and I'm able to kind of see them both. Uh And, and I just eventually sort of came to the conclusion that, that that's okay. You know, um, and I don't necessarily have to be the person who's out there saying, I've done all the research and I've found the answer, you know, that my role is really more on that podcast was really per, to provide platforms for other people to, to share what they think. And I, my thinking has definitely changed, but my thinking became kind of less and less and less relevant over the course mm-hmm. of the podcast, if that makes sense. It was like, no. uh, you know, less of a platform for me and more of a way of like, let's facilitate this larger conversation where many different ideas are, are kind of be going to be shared. Um, so yeah, that's, I think one of the biggest lessons that I'll, that I would take away. I can relate to that in the number of interviews that I've done, because you always go into the interview expecting that you're going to learn something you can add to your library of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I'm, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I mean, just like, oh, they're going to agree with what I'm thinking. And that. Right. Will and what you really find out is uh, you, you find it, you learn what you don't like, right? Mm-hmm. What, what mm-hmm. you don't, what you can't learn to appreciate. And, but it's good for you to hear that because it establishes it helps you establish what your moral moral character is based upon. So it's a healthy thing to do. Sometimes it's not the 
best thing. I mean, it's not the funnest thing to do. It's not comfortable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And But you have to do it in order to understand where your moral foundation comes from, uh, because they seem the, the those conversations that are the most uncomfortable, you tell your, you know, there's a point at which you say to yourself, are, are they right here? You know, mm -hmm. is that a good argument? Is that something I'd want to say in a debate? But as you have time to think about it, it says, okay, so I need to modify my moral foundation so it accommodates the idea that there are people that don't have, don't believe in the same things that I do, but they exist. Mm -hmm. And some of them happen to be your friends, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, that's a very good, you, you put it in, uh, you made it, you made it into a very good description. Shelly? Is there anything that we uh, didn't touch upon today that you would like to bring up at this time before we go? Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is that one of the biggest, one of the things I'm most proud of with Reva and what I'm hoping we can continue to, to talk about on the podcast is that, you know, if you are struggling with any of these issues, you're definitely not alone. It doesn't mean that you're beyond redemption or that there's anything permanently and, um, you know, fundamentally wrong with you. I, I think we really would do all do ourselves a favor if we kind of moved away from that kind of thinking. And so don't be afraid to reach out and start a conversation, you know, if not with us, with, with someone in your own life. Um, I definitely feel like the more we talk about this, and it's why I've been so open about my own recovery, even though, you know, at first I was really didn't want to do that. And now I, you know, I'm so used to it, but I do think that if we have more people who are um, basically able to just say like, look, this happened to me. It wasn't great. Had some bad experiences, did some not very good things. Um, but, you know, change is possible. And like, let's talk about that. I think that the, the more we're, we were normalizing that kind of conversation about alcohol and substance use disorders, the more likely it is that people would get help and that they wouldn't necessarily wait until they hit rock bottom to get help. Like if you're questioning it at all, then it's totally fine to take a break or, or, or stop. You don't have to wait until you get fired or get a DUI or, you know, have something bad happen. So I think that's, that's really one of the biggest things I'd want people to take away. So when we uh, talked at Cheap Podcast, you mentioned that you had been working on a book based on your experiences in Feminist Hot Dog, with mm -hmm. Feminist Hot Dog, and that you were at that time working on it with plans to publish it at the beginning of the uh, new year. Um, yeah, yeah. that's still the plan. The book is done. It just needs um, a pretty thorough edit. And then I will be, one of the things I learned at She Podcast is that you should do a cover contest that people really like that to like um, show your audience multiple covers. So I'm going to try to do a cover contest hopefully in January and yeah, I'd love to get the book out by, you know, um, ideally in February would be my goal. Now, now I've said it, I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. Well, I remember you saying exactly that one Shelley interview you, now that you said it, you have to do it. So uh, we are editing, we're still editing the 18 interviews that we did at cheap podcast, but we're hopeful, uh, uh, as long as I do my share, that we have that published in the beginning of the new year as well. So we'll let you know when that comes about because, of course, you'll be included in it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Last words? Oh, well, I just want to thank you, Adrian, for uh, being with us today to share about your new podcast. That's really exciting that uh, you've gotten started on it. 
so quickly and uh, that we can get to talk about it and start listening to it right away. Uh, so P, be sure to look for Adrian's new podcast, The Hangover Liberation Society, and learn the benefits of sobriety and being supportive of one another in our recovery process. Uh, and uh, Make sure you, you let us know when uh, the first episode is published so we can share that with you. Yes, our- I will. I will. I think um, the trailers on a lot of the platforms, I'm not sure if it's on Apple yet, but um, hopefully we'll, we'll get that first episode um, up within the next week or two. Well, send us a link to the trailer and uh, we'll incorporate that into our weekly update. So people will awesome. have that as well. Thank you so much. Uh, that's all I have for today. And uh, next week I won't be here because I'm going to be traveling for Thanksgiving. But Toby will be here to talk about uh, technical issues that our clients have brought to us that we were surprised that they had these. So we're going to clear that up. We're going to show people how to do some things that uh, they didn't know how to do before. And uh, so be here next week to do some tech talk with Toby. <laughs> and then who's our uh, episode in the week after Thanksgiving, the uh, uh, interview, do you remember? It was the guy from Podmatch. Oh, okay. okay All right. so I don't remember his I name, remember but his I'll, name. I'll, have it, I'll have it for you by my show next yeah, week. So I'm yeah. going to be solo next week. Shelly and Kevin are going to be traveling to uh, meet family for uh, Thanksgiving. That's right. So That's right. All right. So we wish you all a very happy holiday, Thanksgiving holiday, and please be safe if you're traveling. And Adrian, thank you for joining us today. It was, again, a great interview, and I'm glad I could participate this time. Always a pleasure. Great to see you both. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining Messages and Methods Livecast Life 2.0, hosted by Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. Please subscribe and leave a comment or question, and we'll consider your ideas for future shows. Share this podcast with your family and friends so they can learn about current digital marketing practices, too. Check the show notes for links and resources and please come back again next week.